Welcome to the Empowered to Connect podcast, where we come together to discuss a healing-centered approach to engagement and well-being for ourselves, our families, and our communities. I'm J.D. Wilson, and I am your host. And today on the show, we have got the dynamic, energetic, influencer named Lisa Jean-Francois, and she is uh, coming on with us. You, you might know her better um, from Instagram as uh, at Lisa Alamode. Um, she is uh, in a lot of different spaces online, has been um, in the world of kind of uh, fashion and blogging and tutorials and all of that before. Um, but one of the things that um, has been super, super impressive and just exciting for us at ETC is watching Lisa from a distance, um, kind of coming into her own, speaking about gentle parenting, conscious parenting, um, about her journey from traditional parenting into this new awareness of connection and attachment and the implications of that. And so we wanted to have Lisa on today just to share her story because it's super encouraging. And so um, I do want to give just a quick note um, of discretion, listener discretion, because uh, we do get into some very real topics about um, everything from abuse to suicidal thoughts. And so if you are listening in a context where your kids are also listening with you, be aware of that. Um, this may be an episode you want to just relegate to your headphones and um, or to just private listening, and that's okay. Um, just want to give the heads up because there might be topics that uh, could be triggering or problematic if you've got kids in the room. And so um, I will say, though, an episode that you definitely do not want to miss. Um, Lisa's story is just uh, really inspiring, and um, it was just really, really fun talking with her. Um, she was super, super fun to have on as a guest. And so uh, I think you're going to love her. Go follow her at Lisa Alamode on Instagram and uh, keep up with her there. And she'll share some more stuff about uh, where you can find her in the episode. Uh, we're so excited to have her now. Here she is, Lisa Jean-Francois. All right. Well, today we are here, as I said in the introduction, with Lisa Jean-Francois. And we are going to be talking with her about everything from uh, conscious parenting to her space on the internet. And you might be listening today as a regular listener of the ETC podcast, in which case that's great. You might be one of Lisa's 60,000 plus followers on Instagram if you're here. That's awesome too. But um, Lisa, thanks for being here. And we wanted to, I think maybe the most helpful starting place for people who might not know kind of your story, your background is will you just kind of take us through kind of how you got started in this space online um, and then maybe your transformation from that point on? Sure. So I, hi everyone. Thanks for having <laughs> me. I have been a content creator, quote unquote, influencer for almost a decade. Man. It's a while when I think about <laughs> it. And I started um, always in the, the beauty, like my background is in, so backtrack, my background is in writing. I have a, my undergraduate degrees in English and journalism, my master's degrees in writing. Okay. And so I had relocated to Massachusetts, was between jobs, didn't have a family yet, just got married. And I was supposed to be working on this novel that I went to school for, <laughs> as a big manuscript. And I just, I didn't want to do it. I just wanted to do something else. I just wanted something else to distract me. So I started watching YouTube videos and I discovered blogging and I was like, oh, this is writing. It's a blog and I like beauty. And I just wanted to do something that just wasn't cerebral. Sure. Yeah. To, like not just be like, just do something creative and fun and whatever. So I started that and I did that. And then it just sort of took off. Once I started a family, it became the thing that I was focused on and being the thing like I could do that could keep me from having to go out and work a nine to five job. I was right. like, I want to do this. And so 
fast forward, I just did that journey, hair, makeup, fashion, all of that stuff. Started dabbling more into pop culture writing for a while. And that was fun too, but then I didn't want to do that anymore. Um, And I just kept feeling this disconnect with what I was putting out online. It just didn't feel like, yeah, sure. I like beauty. I like makeup. I like fashion. I don't want that to be what you know me for. I don't want that to be the thing that is what I'm recognized for because I could shave my head off today and then what, you know? Um, Right. So during the height of the pandemic, um, we're we're home now, right? It's my husband. So I'm fast forwarding. That's that's the brief history of my life as a beauty, fashion blogger, editor, writer, what have you. So during the height of the pandemic, we're home now. It's myself, my husband, our two children, and we have two boys now aged eight and two, and at the time, aged six and six months. <laughs> um, and so prior to that, my six-year-old at the time was in school full-time. He would go to after-school care a couple of days a week. He also had swim. He also had karate. He also yep. had Kumon tutoring. <laughs> So in essence, I never saw the kid like very, I was just not, I I really didn't have outside of getting him ready in the morning. I, we really just did. It was always on the move and on the go. And on the weekends, he would typically spend weekends with my parents who are very involved and very attached. We lived, um, we lived in the apartment above my parents' house for the first five years of his life. So it's like, (laughs) these are his second set of parents. Right. So I just wasn't seeing him. And plus, I also had a part-time babysitter who would come in and help me with the baby because I worked full-time from home. Yeah. So now fast forward, we're in the pandemic, we're all home, and I'm having to actually parent these two children at the same time. And frustrations are high. (laughs) Okay? Weird. That wasn't how it was for us. I mean... <laughs> frustrations are high. So I just found myself in this in this space of yelling and yeah. threatening. And then I'm getting my husband who doesn't come from well, he wasn't necessarily parented via gentle parenting or conscious parenting methods. He wasn't parent, he wasn't spanked. He didn't have that sort of background. Yeah. But I was spanked and I got yelled at and I was told, and what I say goes and that whole thing. Right. Right. And so I'm encouraging him to get on board. I'm like, yeah, you know, threaten him with the belt. I mean, I'm, I'm horrified now, obviously. Sure. But I'm like, yeah, threaten. We had the belt wrapped. I had the belt wrapped around my neck. I had encouraged my husband to do the same. Wrap it around you. We never were big spankers, you know, yeah. but we were definitely big threateners. We were definitely big yeah. at threatening, at saying, you know, just being completely like, just anyway. And then I got to the place where I was just like, this just doesn't feel good. It doesn't make sense. The child is scared of me. Right. Um, he's six years old. Like he's not doing anything that is outside of the norm for a six-year-old boy to do. Right. right. And um, I understood that, but felt like if I continued to crack down, he would sort of comport himself to my fancy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so I found a Facebook group at the time that was for, um, it was called Conscious Parenting for the Culture. And it was for uh, people of color, men, women, whomever, to learn about conscious parenting. I did not know what conscious parenting was. I just knew that this was a group where people don't spank their kids. And I was like, okay, let me- Which is always the mark, right? That's always the mark. That's how you, that's the lead (laughs) in. 
So I'm in the group. I'm in the group for like a year. We're no longer threatening. We're no longer spanking. But I've not read what is conscious parenting. I've not (laughs) read a single book. I've not. I'm just in the group, just kind of languishing, saying I'm practicing conscious parenting because I'm not. I'm trying not to yell, and I'm not hitting him. So I'm there. What else do you people want? (laughs) So. I'm in the group and I'm, I'm just trying to kind of take in some of the things that they're saying. And, um, and then it comes to a head for me. I want to say it like it clicked for me. I want to say maybe it was April, 2021 or so I, it's like, I've been a year in. So now April, May, 2021, and I'm still like, I'm failing. I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm failing (laughs) at the conscious parenting because I don't know what it is. I'm not actually practicing it. I just know I'm not supposed to be yelling. I haven't done any inner child work. I haven't looked at my own self. I haven't talked to, thought about what it means to be reactive. None of the stuff you need to do to be conscious. Yeah. And so I um, found myself, I had this moment where I'm like, just raging. It's late at night. The things aren't picked up. I've asked repeatedly to pick this stuff up. I don't. And then I just, I say, that's it. I'm my mother. Okay. I, I'm taking all his art supplies off the floor. I'm throwing it in the trash. You see right. what you made me do? And he's crying. Oh, no one bought me those because his grandmother bought him the, the art supplies. I still hear that sound in my, his voice in my ear of, but, but no one bought me those. But, and you just, you feel so bad. Because right. like, like you're just a complete jerk, honestly, because I hold all the power in that instance and I'm using that to assert dominance and to hurt him emotionally so he'll do what I want him to do when I say to do it. Right, right. And I woke up the next morning feeling like complete garbage. Yeah. I went and I took the stuff out of the trash. So I got him off to school, whatever. I went in the trash. I removed what I could that wasn't stained that my husband had actually gone in afterwards, after had watched watched the whole thing, gone in and gotten a lot of the stuff. But I went in, I got what was left in there. Yeah. And I had like a come to Jesus moment with myself. And I was like, this cannot be it. And I was ashamed of myself. So Mm. I apologized to him. I actually filmed this. This is actually, I filmed myself apologizing, taking the stuff out of the trash. And then I read Dr. Shafali's The Conscious Parent and the rest is history. history. Yeah. <laughs> so that was the real turning point for me. And then it really turned once I got my mental health diagnosis for myself. So mm. I had been working for two years um, in an abusive and toxic environment. I worked for somebody who was a covert narcissist mm-hmm. and it was, I can't even, just the abuse is like, I can't eat like this stuff. And what's wild about it is like, I, it's not like I was somebody and I was this desperate person who can't get a job. I have a terminal master's degree. I've got 15 years of work experience. I could get another job. But why I stuck in this situation for two years that was abusive to me, I would call people, and I'm going to connect it to conscious parenting, so just just hang with me. Sure, sure, sure. I would call this one and that one and this one, and I say, I describe these circumstances, and is this normal? Is this normal? Is this okay? And they'd all tell me, no, it's not normal, or or give me a different perspective or what have you. And I just would continue and hope and pray. 
And I would find myself as, as time went on, I went in a confident, powerful, enthusiastic person. And towards the end of this two-year mark, I was a shell of myself. Yeah. I was broken. I felt scared of my of my boss. I felt like I I would feel it in my body. My nervous system would be would have this response where I just would feel I would find myself shaking. I couldn't towards the end, I would have trouble sending an email. I would yeah. feel so stressed of like, it, you know. And so finally, it was the end of June of this of 2021. I'm getting a, a one of her text messages where she's berating me. I'm I'm a I'm doing a bad. You're terrible. You're weak. Your your colleagues say you're weak. You're doing a bad job. It's like all the you know. And I found myself for a blink of an, a flash of a moment. I actually felt like, and it's hard for me to say this. Okay, but I'm going to say it, and I'm going to explain more as I you know it'll make sure. yeah, yeah. sense. For a moment, I thought to myself. I just want to kill myself. Like, I just want to die. I, I, I can't take this. I can't take this feeling. It makes me feel powerless, awful, weak. Like, all of the things that she describes, if what she's saying about me is true, then why am I even here? Mind you, I have two children to care for. Yeah. So when I had that brief flash, I immediately responded to her text. And I'm like, look, do you want this to be my last week? I knew I had to go. If yeah. I wanted to be okay with myself and alive for myself and my children, I had to get away from this person. So I left, whatever, quit, fired, whatever you want to call it. That's what. That's how that happened. Because, of course, as a narcissist, within twenty-four, within ten minutes, oh, sure. within yeah, ten minutes of sending oh, this God. text to her saying, "I can finish out this last week. You're so unhappy. I'm this horrible person." Within ten minutes, then I get an email. Notice of termination. Like, okay, you can't even let me quit in a normal way. Like, I've not stolen money from you. I've not done anything right. horrible. Just let me finish. Anyway, so then I go, I, I I run into therapy, run into therapy. I'm like, this was not normal. What's yeah. more, and I'm not going into therapy to figure out this lady who I can clearly see is a textbook narcissist. Google narcissistic boss is it. <laughs> textbook but i need to know why i stayed why i subjected myself when there was no reason why i mean yeah. obviously financial you know we're in a pandemic i'm afraid of, course. So, of course but here i am six months you know whatever plus out i'm not dead i'm alive i'm poor <laughs> i'm I, i'm poorer <laughs> but i'm okay but this is you know so I run into therapy and I was like, I got to figure out what, a because I, and I was feeling like that feeling, I kept it in my mind, right? I kept like what that feeling that I would have when I'd be working for her, that feeling when she would say these negative things, that feeling, that feeling, that feeling that I have felt my entire life in different ways that I never connect, I never did the connection. So I jump into therapy. I'm in therapies from the end of like July to I get a therapist. It just works out for me by the grace of God. Because anyone who looks for a therapist knows it could take months. Yeah, and first try is like that. And then you first you find somebody. Now I've had my, I've been in it. I've done therapy. I did therapy for several years in my 20s. was great. But I hadn't been back really in probably about 10 years. So I get in and once we start doing the work, 
doing the work, the healing journey. I'm going on this journey. I finally, after many years of suffering and not knowing and not understanding, receive my diagnosis. So I have borderline personality disorder, which is caused... Now, I'm announcing it to you here without having announced it to my followers yet, because I am actually working on a video project to talk about this. This is what will be on my YouTube channel, will be about living my life mothering through this this disorder. Mm -hmm. And so where does borderline personality disorder come from? Many people don't know what it is. They certainly don't see it ascribed to Black women. Um, And so one of the ways that it comes about is childhood trauma. Yeah, And I had to go back and I'm still going back. I do a form of therapy, several forms of two forms of therapy. One is uh, one is called DBT, which is for people who have borderline personality disorder. It's it's part it's in line with traditional therapy is the cognitive CBT is what most people understand. Cognitive behavioral therapy is the so this is a version of TB CBT for people with borderline personality disorder. The person who created this form of therapy themselves had an had borderline personality disorder. And so so there's that and then there's EMDR yep. which is which you you're familiar with I'm seeing you're shaking your head. Yeah, no our followers might not be so definitely so EMDR is a is a, a form of therapy therapy that is specific to trauma. And I I I really want us to have an understanding of what trauma is because oftentimes when people hear that word they assume that you were beaten black and blue your whole life, right. you were starved, you were sexually assaulted all day every day these trauma is something that happens that fundamentally changes who you would have normally been and it create and this is me using layman's terms i don't have a background in psychology although i would like to get my phd in psychology at this point um it's something that happens that just changes and it can be and it can happen through yelling it happens through spanking it can happen right. through shaming it can happen all these ways that changes you especially during your formative years during a time when your brain is developing obviously you can experience trauma later in life as we know people who go off to war right, right. and um and so for me, it and I and and so there's two schools of thought for borderline. You know, most psychologists accept that it's a combination of your genetics. So you were probably predisposed. You're already born with the gene for developing right. it, and then your environment, how you're raised, kind of seals the deal, right? Yeah. And so once I get this diagnosis, I'm like, oh hell, I 100% have to commit to conscious parenting because. My kids are predisposed, of course. Mm-hmm. And even if they're not predisposed, and this is part of the reason why I've been, I'm open about sharing what my mental health journey has been and what it is, right? But I sometimes fear or are afraid people are going to hear this and say, well, I don't have this disorder. So That's my right. kids That's are right. predisposed. So I don't have to parent consciously with them. But right. you just don't know. Why take the risk? And we do know through all of the research, all of the studies that date back, they're not just recent. Some of these studies date back years and years and years that tell us that the ways in which the traditional methods of parenting are harmful to children. And I had to step back and think to myself, you know, all the ways that I wasn't free, 
as a kid and the ways in which that's impacted me in my adulthood. If I, I 100% believe if I had been parented differently, I would not have been subjected to the abuse of a narcissist because mm-hmm. that behavior would have been so clearly wrong to me that I would have known to run away. Instead, the behavior had been normalized to me. And Mm -hmm. so I couldn't recognize it when I saw it. This is the same stuff with people who are become victims of domestic violence. You don't catch the signs because your system has been, this stuff is normal to you. And on some, even though on some level, you know, it isn't, you stay because it's abuse is normal. So that is, I, I, that's a mouthful. I mean, well, thank you, first of all, because sharing that is hard. Like anytime that we start to open ourselves up and share these like dark places that had to be walked yeah. through, it's incredibly difficult. So first of all, kudos for that. Like, and just for, for being willing to like stake your claim on being bold and public about it so that other people can share in that same journey. Yeah. I, I mean, so many of the things that <laughs> I want to talk about 70 different things that you just said, but one of the things I want to key in on is, yeah, I think for us, when we, so in our, one of the, the early things for my wife and I, we were in the ETC parenting course, we learned about what you touched on, like big T and little T trauma. So we all think of big T trauma, like, you know, whatever, my granddad served in Vietnam or, you know, so-and-so was in a car wreck early on, or they suffered abuse that was horrible or lived in a very, you know, toxic situation. And we don't realize, like you said, those little T traumas that then also add up. And that research you, you mentioned, like, and one of our, so one of our favorite people, and I think you have, you've seen you mention her as well, but Dr. Tina Payne Bryson, you know, co-write the whole brain, whole brain child. We talk about how um, in an early traumatized brain, the amygdala, that survival response kind of trap door, like can get stuck, so to speak, um, in kids who have experienced early childhood trauma where you live in that stress survival response stress. zone. Right? Whole, and that's that feeling I felt the whole time I was working. I can take that yeah. feeling back to age five, age four, age six, okay? I yeah. can feel it in my body still. Yeah. 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 Well, and I think, so then you mentioned knowing, like once you were aware of that, then all of a sudden, like you, if you, if you overlay, like you sharing your personal journey with where you guys were in parenting during the pandemic, those things stack up perfectly, right? Like you're experiencing toxic stress at work and coming home, doing the best you can with your kids, but like no person can endure all of that and have it not come out in their personal life with those they love, right? And there's that dynamic of you just you describe like going to get the the uh art supplies out of the trash, right? Like you, you love your son. And in those moments, all of us who love our kids uh have moments where we just want to throw them out a window, right? And we're not going to, but like you have those moments where they drive you to the end of yourself. And so if you've got a bunch of unresolved stuff internally already, and then you get pushed to those places through parenting, like you get back against the wall and you can begin to not justify, but to understand where those, you know, little and big T traumas that we endured as kids came from, right? Like parents probably doing the best they can dealing with what they were handed down by their folks and what they were handed down by their folks. And so you get to see, like, it it gets to be a heavyweight in your chest. Like this is, this is a lot to deal with. Right. So one thing I'm curious about is kind of coming out of this story right now, like where you are at your point in your story, you begin to read the books, you're doing the work internally. I would imagine like, as, as your husband talk and you guys are, are beginning to like 
your kids are seeing a difference and maybe not the six month old, but as your six year old is beginning to see a difference, is, is he commenting on this? Are, are you guys kind of noticing it in the house or is this more of like a subtle, subtle growth change that happened over time? He did begin to comment. He would say things like your, he, I forget how he framed it, but he, my tone of voice change with the way that I was speaking to him. Mm. And so he was like, you're talking like a sister. That's how he framed it. You're <sighs> talking like a sister, not a mommy. And so he oh, wow. is his way of saying like, you're friendlier to me. Like you're not, like you're more like a friend, a peer and yeah. not, which, you know, in, in black households, you don't want to hear that. Like 100%. you're old. I'm not your friend. I'm not one of your friends. It's a whole, but it's like, this is what you want. This is what conscious parenting is about. You want that connection because the more connected you are with your child, the, I mean, just, just who doesn't want a connection with their child, just for the sake of having a connection, that's it. But it also yields all these positive, they're more confident, they're happier, they're, you know, they tend to go with the flow just a little bit more. Sure, um, sure. So that was one of the first things I noticed with him. And now he also says a lot of like, and I'll ask him to do things. I'm getting some no's, but I'm also getting some like, um, you know, getting some, oh, I'm just, I'm myself. I just, you know, I want to wear, I want to be myself. I'm, I like my things like that because he's mm-hmm. free to be himself in a way that he wasn't before. Yeah. Um, so there are definitely, he definitely, he also advocates for himself and, and, it, and I, and I need that because he holds, hold, it holds me accountable. I definitely have, even though I know what I know, I have my diagnosis, I've done my therapy, I'm reading whatever. Sure. I still have, we, every day it's a journey because you oh. <laughs> triggers as you talked about, right? Because what the kids are doing is what they're doing. They, they're being kids. It's, yes. our, it's our reaction to it that nine times out of 10 comes from other stuff, not what's in front of us, not what the child is doing. <laughs> so yeah. it, it, I still have my, definitely have my moments, my daily struggles. And even when the moments, like there was a day that I got, I'm, uh, you know, I'm ashamed, but it is what it is. I had a moment, I want to say two weeks ago with my two-year-old, my now two-year-old, I was just trying to get him to eat and I just was tired. I was out of it. And I don't know. I don't realize this. The now eight year old is like around the corner and he comes out. He's like, don't yell at him. Don't yell at him. He's just a baby. Mm. And I don't know. And I, first of all, I wasn't yelling. Okay. My voice, <laughs> maybe, my voice maybe wasn't the softest. Okay. Right. But I wasn't yelling, but he still detected the tone and that it was aggressive and that it wasn't acceptable to him. And it certainly wasn't acceptable for anyone to speak that way to his brother. And these to me are changes that I like to see because it shows me that he is understanding his worth and understands that he is not to tolerate being mistreated even at eight years old. Yeah. And I mean, just how stark of a contrast that is to how you were raised and how I was raised. Right. And I, I think the, uh, the thing I would love to hear is, okay, you, you begin down this journey and you talk about having your, your folks like kind of in tow a lot and you're, you're having your folks around, like helping care for your kids a lot. So at some point you're going to have to start telling your kids, well, hold up now. We actually we're changing the way we do things and here's how we're speaking to them or we're not spanking or we're not doing this or that. How did they react? And how is, how is their like, uh, 
you know, embracing of this gone. So like most grandparents, who they are, who they were for as parents is not who they are as grandparents. Sure. Right. So a lot of the stuff that I had to endure or deal with as a kid, my kids weren't dealing with from their grandparents anyway. Right, right, right. My dad is a complete teddy bear with them. There, I have nothing to say to him because he doesn't discipline them and it's just it is what it is. So there's no conversation. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. And so with my mom, and though she was never a like a spanker or what have you, uh-huh. There, I just do it in doses. There hasn't been a, a sit-down conversation. Yeah. But I've had to kind of push back on her when she complains about, for instance, I think there was a day where he where she was insisting on he had to wear a pair of jeans that she wanted him to wear. And he hates jeans, okay? He was a sweatpants. He wants right. his drawstring, doesn't want to be bothered with the jeans. Right. So she calls me. She calls my husband. She calls my sister. Because we're all in this little village. He's not wearing I And then you know what he said to me? He said to me, it's my body. Can you believe he said? I was like, yeah, mom. It's his body. Yeah, who taught him that, mom? That was me. <laughs> and I taught him that. So you, you're going to have to, you're going to be okay. And that's really how it is with her. When I deal with it at a moment by moment, when things come up and I just kind of, hold, you know, this is what it is. And if I'm there and I observe that there's a tone of voice that I don't feel is appropriate, or there's an approach that I I don't feel is appropriate, then I model for her and him, my, my son, how it should be done. So that's always been, it's never, if I were to sit her down and have like a, a moment, it's just, these people, you can't tell them what to do. Like, I just, I know who I'm dealing with. And so yeah, I yeah. deal with it moment by moment. Um, and I'm fortunate in that I don't have, like, if it, I think it would be different if A, my parents were younger grandparents, uh-huh. where they still had that fire in them <laughs> to be yeah. tough, yeah. but they're in their seventies. They're just not in that space of being like super yeah. aggressive anyway. So I'm fortunate in that I haven't dealt with, quite as much pushback as maybe some other people have with my village, I would say. Yeah. Now online, like online as you're sharing stuff, have you gotten some of that pushback uh, culturally? Yes. And so what I, I have done in what I do and listen, it's, it's been a journey. So in the first, in the beginning, it was like, you let all comments ride. You let everybody come in and say what they have to say. And you, you respond to them as best as you can. And it's, it, I, I, sometimes it's like on a day-to-day basis. Some days I can be more, depends on like the tone of the, of the comment. (laughs) I can, I can engage, even though I know the other person is a traditionalist, they're never going to see it the way that I see it. I can engage on some level, but I have learned that for the most part, I am not going to bring everyone on this journey with me. Although that would be great if people, uh, so I say to myself, when I create content, I create content for the people who maybe were never introduced to the idea of what it is, are intrigued, are interested in understanding what it is, and then following in suit to learn what it is. I'm not creating content to be antagonistic. I'm not creating Mm -hmm. content to to argue and to have these battles in the comment right. section. And so I call me uh, a coward, call me weak, <laughs> call me whatever name that I've been called. 
I just don't engage in the conversations anymore when it's clear that the person is a um, is not going to come. So I get it. I'm told that I, I I parent my kids though. This is white people stuff. Yeah. This is white people stuff. This is why our kids don't shoot up schools. Our kids going to shoot up schools. Your your kids. And mind you, the DC sniper was black, by the way, with him <sighs> and the other person. I just want to put that out there. That it, there's this, the shooting of the schools thing. They say that one a lot. They, you know, I get all of this. It's white. This is why our kids are different. You have to prepare them for the world. The world is not going sure. to treat them well and be nice to them. So we must introduce suffering early. Okay, mm-hmm. we must introduce the pain and suffering as early as we can, so they know that pain and suffering is a part of life. Um, well, and you touched on one in one of your videos on, you know, some of that coming, and and I've listen, I, I've heard this from mentors of mine, I've heard this from friends in, in, in our community, even just you know, the origins of dark-skinned people arriving on the shores of America, like dealt with like the ingrained physical, physical, uh, implementation of discipline, right? Like from the outset, that was how, uh, stuff was ingrained. And so there is that long history. And then within, uh, the structures of black families in America, there was, there was not second chances, right? So for a long time, there was this notion of like, and our, our pastor talked for a long time, uh, when we this is years ago, but about uh, having the green book for family vacations and knowing there were places you could stay, places you couldn't stay. Right. And and his grandfather had said, like, we whooped you guys because we absolutely had to, because we weren't sure if you'd be safe outside of it. And we we get all that. And I'm sure you get those things all the time. Yeah, the idea is to instill this. I mean, it's instilling fear, a.k.a. trauma. <laughs> a.k.a. trauma, it's instilling fear to to make you not do the thing that could that could get you killed really ultimately right and um so i i understand you know there's such a thing as post-traumatic slave syndrome that's been written about i forget gosh dr jewel i feel post-traumatic slave syndrome there's a book about i haven't read the book i've read excerpts from the book um so post-traumatic slave disorder uh spare the kids why whooping black whooping children won't save black america by dr Mm -hmm. stacy Patton. um those are two resources so the fear is real. And I mean, we don't even have to read a book. You know, we can look at what happened to Emmett Till, right? 100%. We can look at what happened to Emmett Till. And we know that for uh, many of us are looking and saying, well, not us, but I'm sure the conversation at that time was she did not prepare him well enough. She mm. didn't teach him well enough how to to behave and how to comport himself. Mm. And this is why. So Black mothers generations later are, do not want to be in the position where we are having our 14, 13, 14-year-old child beaten to death at the hands of the white man. 100%. Even though times have changed, that fear has been passed down generation by generation, generation. And so it exists for us. So when we say things, well, we have to prepare them. What if your kid runs into, has an interaction with the police? There, mm-hmm. it, is, it is a strong belief within our, our culture that we must that our survival, our very survival is, is hinges on, you know, parenting this way because otherwise what's going to happen? The white man will sure. get him and then what? And so sure. I guess the challenge for me is getting people to understand that although very real, it's, 
it's just not worth what ends up happening in the because times have changed. Mm. Times have some a lot of things have stayed the same, but a lot of things have changed. And that we don't have to parent our children from a place of fear. We don't have to instill fear in them because the thing that the thing that people don't understand is that oftentimes we think of, okay, I'm gonna smack your sorry, I'm going to <laughs> smack your hand. Probably should close some windows. I'm going to smack your hand so that it hurts you so that you don't do it again, or so that you're afraid, so you're afraid of being hit, so you don't do it again. But what people don't recognize is that's, that what's the reason it's not happening again, if it doesn't happen again, most of the times it doesn't even work, is because trauma has happened, that you've changed, you've, you've, you've set off these whatever fear, whatever in the brain, and that, and that trauma Yes. Okay. Now the child, you hit the child, they don't put their hands on something hot or whatever. So they don't get hurt, but that fear stays in the body. It travels, it can travel and it can become later on anxiety, depression, borderline personality disorder. So why (laughs) risk it? Okay. Anyway. Right, right, right. Well, I mean, I think that the, you know, I don't know if you've read, uh, it's, Bessel van der Kolk's the the uh, how the body keeps the score, and it talks about that like the the brain body right. connection and sure, human yes. connection, right. So you know there is, and this is this is probably like needs to be about a ten part series to unpack oh, all man. of this. Sorry, I'm talking too much. <laughs> right. Well, no, I'm just saying like like so. Uh, Dr. Charles McKinney, who's a civil rights historian, and he was um, one of our first guests here, and uh, actually ran into him the other night, and you know he talked about the need for for parents, so transracially adoptive families, so you know, white parents of black kids to understand those truths, understand the history that you're talking about, understand the seriousness of it, um, and to not dismiss that, but then to take that into preparing your kids. And I think that's where we we begin to talk about what we're doing now is beginning to prepare our kids for how to live in the world and all of the research about uh, how kids learn, um, developing skills that are going to stick as adults, all tend toward teaching and not uh, fear-based domineering, right? And so um, for those of us who have had that crisis of you become an adult and all of a sudden you're like, no one is standing over me telling me what to do anymore. And now I got to kind of figure out how to do stuff. You know, our, one of our kids of the night was, was, we were just in one of those battles over something so dumb and just, you know, we're sticking it out and talking. And at the end of it, you know, I had to remind him like, listen, the reason that we talk about this for so long is I don't want you to just obey robotically out of a fear that I'm going to you know, discipline you or punish you or ground you or take something away. It's not that. I need you to understand why this was wrong so that when you're faced with the decision as you get older, you can make the wise decision because you know what's on the other side of that. And so, you know, that that has to stick in a reminder. Now, you know, at whatever, 11 o'clock when bedtime started at eight and you, it's hard to remember that sometimes, right? So we have to give ourselves grace. But without us doing the work, like you talked about, and without us having sort of an end goal in mind for our kids, like what, do we, what are we hoping to produce in our kids? It's, it's not futile, but it's close, right? It's, um, yeah, it's pretty hard. It's pretty hard. I mean, I, I cannot, I mean, I, I do not, I don't discount the fact that there are things in place that make it easier for me to parent this way. Sure. Um, and so one, I have, ac- I was able to, I got access to a therapist. I got in right away. I got a diet. Mm-hmm. Like all of these things were sort of like, you know, 
by the grace of God, it all kind of fell into place. Yeah. I'm also not a single parent. So I recognize that not being a single parent, um, having a two parent household and having sort of the assistance of even other family members come in and That's help right. here and there, that right. that takes some of it off too. I know that on the days where I'm less stressed, I'm a nicer and more conscious mom than on the days right. that I'm stressed. And mm-hmm. the days that I'm stressed, it's usually about bills, money, this, that, and the third. So if that were my constant everyday experience, would I be able to keep it together like this? It'd be so much harder. It would be a lot harder. It's not impossible. It's it's not impossible because conscious parenting doesn't require money. You don't have to read these books. And if you wanted to read a book, your library can give you a for free. You could everybody, even in the most, you know, and if it's not there, your librarian can order it for you. They actually, you can get like audio books now at your library Mm -hmm. now. So um, you can certainly access one of those resources. Um, But one of the things that I've, I've often gotten pushback because we talked about the cultural pushback, right? Mm -hmm. And so there is a page on Facebook that, so, this was actually pretty, uh, this conversation was happening on TikTok quite a bit last week and I was getting DMs and stuff like that about is conscious parenting or gentle parenting privileged parenting? Yeah. And it's been, there's been all this pushback about it. And I was, uh, and there's this Facebook page called Kinfolk Collective that. Yeah, she, yeah. She wrote something about it. Um, she's like, you can't talk about the... And, and I, I was I was annoyed by it because I was like, you know what? This is going to make people feel like if they're not wealthy or have access to, you know, whatever, then right. they can't do it. Right. Or it was, it, it almost, and they would, she said that we don't talk enough, those of us that are in the space and talking about conscious parents, and we don't talk enough about the fact that it's harder for people with limited resources to do it. Yeah. And I think... I don't talk about it all that much because it's not my experience. Sure. And if, if I can't, I can't put out content from an experience. I like, it's like, it would be like me going and renting a teenager to do a video about <laughs> it. I don't have a teenager yet. So right. I haven't really kind of had to walk that walk. Sure. Yet. Am I a black mom? Yes. Do I have cultural pressures and things of that nature that maybe white people don't have to face? Yes. But I also don't have the experience. So it almost, for me, felt like it was like, unless I say in every piece of, unless I say I'm going to erect conscious parenting resource centers in low income communities, then I can't talk about it. That's what it felt like for me. It's like, well, what, how do I, so the challenge for me is sort of figuring out because even though I know I'm not going to reach everybody and I'm my, my goal is not to reach everybody because I'm not trying to have arguing all day and night with people. <laughs> That's not fun for me, but I do want to, I do want more people of color to feel encouraged in trying this way. Yeah. And if this is a barrier, I need to figure out how to get over this sure. barrier. And I don't know how to do it in a way that feels real and true to me because I can't speak to an experience that I haven't experienced right? and also maintains my own boundaries because what I'm not going to do is subject myself to abuse on social media, which I do subject myself to quite a bit of it. And I put boundaries in place to prevent those. Like I, I block people every day. 
because I can't, and in order, and I do it because I realized that it would be when I would read their comments, because sometimes they would leave comments and then other people would comment and it would be like a a, a whole list of, they've, they've formed this little community of how they beat their kids and what's wonderful about it and how they've smacked them. And now they're college educated and wonderful members of society. And it would be triggering for me to have to read it and to feel like, okay, on my content, I've created a space for people to come in and, and, and joyfully recount their tales of beating children. Counterproductive for what you're trying to do with your content. Counterproductive. I don't want to see it. I don't have to see it. So I block it. Anyway. As you should. Yeah. Well, and I think what you're touching on is such an important issue for us right now. And it's something that I'm hoping, hoping, hoping that we're going to see um, major, major strides taken toward in this next 10 years because of the accessibility. Because, you know, as as Wi-Fi and as public internet becomes more and more accessible, uh, the content that you're creating, the content that ETC is creating is accessible to anybody, right? Like if you if you have an internet connection, you can find that content and be able to consume it. And so my hope is that as more voices collectively are going to speak in uh, to these situations and be vocal about it and have that information accessible online, that we can then begin to help point people that in, in that direction. Um, but, you know, it is without advocates, uh, like, you know, you, you talked about having other people of color that have helped to like kind of welcome you into this and to like, you've done the same for a lot of people behind you. Um, it, you know, the same way that I was welcomed in by another dad at, at our church, like um, welcome in this story. Like we've got to have community to be able to drive um, these conversations. And so my um, hope is if you're listening to this today and you're just thinking, God, I am, I'm out on the island. I have nobody to talk to about this. I would say, you know, my encouragement, I would imagine Lisa's encouragement is for you to just find uh, places which you can find like-minded people who are doing the same thing and begin to engage. Obviously, if you can do that in person, it is always the best because that can lead to then having play dates and then, you know, getting to hang out uh, in real time with people and be able to share what you're going through. Um, but if you can't find it uh, live where you are, being able to find places online where there are folks of like mind who can, you can, you can talk with, get encouraged by, um, and keep going on this journey. Um, Lisa, uh, I feel like we need several more of these to keep unpacking what we've been talking about. Um, thank you so much for just for coming on today and sharing so vulnerably um, what you've been through. Can you uh, let folks know where they can find you online? And um, if you want to kind of, this will this will release a little bit later than right now. So if there's anything coming in the next few weeks that you want to kind of tease or preview, uh, where they can find that? Sure. So um, my name on social media everywhere is Lisa a la mod, <laughs> which Thanks, in right. French, which in French means Lisa in style. Right. But everyone, Americans are always like, oh, you must like apple with ice cream. <laughs> yeah. So because remember, I was a I started as a fashion and beauty blogger. Right, so. right, right, right. So it's Lisa a la mode, like the ice cream. Yeah. Um, on Instagram, on the TikTok, although I need to kind of figure out what TikTok and how to actually do anything on there. So um, on Facebook, on my blog, lisalamo.com, and my YouTube, which I'm re- everything is kind of going through a somewhat of yeah. a metamorphosis, if you will. Yeah. So branding. Yeah. Um, so um, it coming up, is the podcast that I'm starting as well. That's starting this month of February. Awesome. Um, so just stay tuned for that. Um, I did touch on borderline personality disorder. So the new YouTube channel I'm starting is going to delve into what my life is like dealing with that and what that experience has been. Awesome. 
And I'm currently filming, actually tomorrow I'm filming a video project to kind of take you through that experience. So, so much stuff coming in February, all under the brand name Lisa A La Mode. Find me and um, connect. Awesome. Well, we'll link all that in the show notes so people can find it really easily. Um, And so if you're listening to this, it should be March of 2022. So all this stuff should be totally released and out in the wild. Uh, So make sure you follow Lisa uh, as well as checking out all the resources that she's got going on as well. Lisa, thank you. And we'll have you on again real soon. Thanks so much. Again, huge thank you to Lisa for joining us today. And uh, man, just... What a powerful story. And, um, and, and just, I, I, I'm reminded so much in uh, hearing her story of just the hundreds of, I would say of you listening in the audience who have either reached out to us and shared your stories or um, those who have gone through one of the ETC parenting classes uh, in the past. And we've gotten to hear your story in, uh, in person. It just reminded me of that, um, just that early stage of awareness and realization and that early struggle to break old habits and, and gain new awarenesses uh, to learn more about attachment and about um, connection and the importance of it. Um, and just, it was just really encouraging to me. And so Lisa, if you're listening to this today, uh, just know we're super proud of you and we were uh, really excited um, to have you all with us and can't wait to have you again. So uh, for everybody here at ETC, for Mo and Tana Ottinger, for the whole ETC team, um, for Kyle Wright, who edits and engineers all of our audio and Ted Jewett, the creator of the music behind the ETC podcast. I'm J.D. Wilson, and we will see you next week on the Empowered to Connect podcast.